you would be turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 30. So I'm not going to ask how many did the homework assignment, but hopefully uh, as we go through it today, you'll remember it and maybe do it as we, as we go along. But I had mentioned three questions for you to look at in chapter 30 and 31, but kind of looking at where we've been, just to kind of help us all um, refresh our memory, we've been looking at, in chapter 28 and 29, the foolish leaders and their false counsel. And this is in a group of chapters that we've titled the prophecies of the woes, um, because routinely in these passages we see woe unto those and uh, it started out with woe to the crown of pride the drunkards of Ephraim and that was the first woe and then it went to woe to Ariel which is Jerusalem and under that we covered the blindness of disbelief the vain worship that they had and the fact that the wisdom of the wise God was going to bring to naught that his wisdom was so far superior, but yet in the world's eyes, they would look at his wisdom, which was to provide redemption, salvation through the cross and the preaching of the cross. The world looks at that as foolishness. And then last week we looked at the woe to those with atheistic attitudes. And we saw the attitudes that some would describe as being a practical atheist, which is living a life as though God doesn't exist. And so that was where we left off. Well, this week we're going to pick up, and this is kind of the overview of the prophecy of the woes. We've covered the foolish leaders and false counsel. Well, this week we're going to hopefully get through chapter 30 and 31. Now, I know that's ambitious for us, but we're going to try. And there's two woes in there. Woe to the rebellious children, which is in chapter 30. And then chapter 31 says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. As I was kind of reviewing and studying some more, I almost want to change that. Woe to them that don't seek God's help. Because if you look at this passage as we go through it today, it was either Egypt or God. You can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. And they were choosing Egypt, <coughs> and they were choosing Egypt to the exclusion of God. They weren't seeking God's help. And so this whole passage that we're about to look at is pretty blatant and stated bluntly, don't go down to Egypt. That's what you're thinking your solution is. Don't do it. Trust God. And so rather than focus on that, because it comes out throughout the whole passage, I ask you to look at three questions. And then after we look at these two chapters, there's the true solution is Messiah, the righteous king. And we'll look at that hopefully in the next Sunday or two. And so trusting Egypt is not a good solution. And I mentioned last week three, three questions. One being, what does this passage tell us about the Jews? And the reason I want us to look at that is because 
honestly, we have to admit we're not a lot different. And if you look at our society in America, we have the benefit of a godly heritage. Our forefounders, many of them, uh, believed in Jesus and believed the Bible and started our country with very strong Judeo-Christian values. We look today, and much like the Jews of that time, that's not dominantly true anymore. Uh, if anything, it may be about a 50-50 a mix in our culture and society, uh, if that. I mean, it's hard to know exactly what the, what the mix is, but there are those that still believe strongly in God and Jesus, and there are those that really, for all practical purposes, they're atheists. They don't live life as though God exists. And so we can learn from that. The second question is, what's the problem with trusting Egypt? And it's kind of woven in these chapters. And then the last one is, what's God's response or what's God's character? And so I'm going to read chapter 30 and 31, and if you didn't work on the homework at home as we're going through if you like to write in the margins on your bible as we come across a phrase or something in a verse that deals with these three questions you could write you know you could write one two or three or you could put jews to the side this way in the future you'll know it tells you something about the jews you could put god beside others but the idea is that we learn something about ourselves and we learn something about our God as we go through this, as well as the frailty of trusting in man. And so I'm going to read chapter 30 and 31, and then we'll start going through answering these questions. Woe to the, I'm in chapter 30, verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanes. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, not be of help nor profit, but a shame and also a reproach. The burden of the beast of the south into the land of trouble and anguish from whence come the young and old lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasure upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. For the Egyptian shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. Now go, write it before them in a table, 
and note it in a book, that it may be for time to come, forever and ever. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophecy deceits. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from us. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking forth cometh suddenly at an instant. And he shall break it as breaking the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces, he shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it a shroud, a shroud to take fire out of the hearth, or to take water wherewithal out of a pit. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall you be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and you would not. But ye said, No, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall ye flee. And we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, at the rebuke of five shall ye flee, till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain, and as an ensign on a hill. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may get, excuse me, and therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you, for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they that wait for him. For the Lord shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem, they shall weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand or when ye turn to the left. And ye shall defile also the covering of thy graven images of silver and the ornament of thy molten images of gold. They shall, <clears throat> thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, Get thee hence. Then shall he give thee the rain of thy seed, that thou shalt sow the ground wherewithal, the bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous in the day. In that day shall thy cattle feed in large pastures. The oxen likewise and the young asses that ear the ground shall eat clean provender. 
which he hath winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. And there shall be upon every high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of water in, that, in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as in the day, as in the light of the seven, of seven days. In the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound, behold, the name of the Lord cometh from far, burning with his anger, and the burden thereof it's he is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue is a devouring fire, and his breath is an overflowing stream, shall reach to the midst of the neck to sift the nations with the sea, sieve of vanity. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. Ye shall have a song as in the night when the holy Somnity is, is kept, and gladness of heart as when one goeth with a pipe to come into the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. And the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard, and shall show the lighting down of his arm with the indignation of his anger, and with the flame of devouring fire, with scattering and tempest and hailstones. For through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down, which smote with the rod, smote with a rod. And in every place where the ground, where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tabrets and harps, and in battle of shaking will he fight with it. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, the king Yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord is like a, a stream of brim, brimstone doth kindle it. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. And stay on horses and trust in chariots. Because they are many and in horsemen. Because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring evil and will not call back his word, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and, that, and he that is helped shall fall down, and they all shall fall, fail together. For thus hath the Lord spoken unto me, like as a lion and a young lion roaring upon its prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. <coughs> As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. 
Defending also, he will deliver it, and passing over, he will preserve it. Turn ye unto him, from whom the children of Israel hath deeply revolted. For in that day every man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have made unto you for a sin. Then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword, not of a mighty man, and the sword not of a mean man shall devour him. But he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomforted, and he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the ensign, saith the Lord, who is fire, whose fire is in Zion, and his furnace in Jerusalem. As we read all of this, there are some parts of it that we probably won't cover, which is some of the analogies and things that he does a comparison. But throughout this, the theme is trust God, don't trust Egypt. And it's stated in chapter 30. And then 31 is somewhat of a summary of what was covered in 30. And so I'm hoping we can do both of these chapters together. And what I thought was most significant in my mind, now there are teachers that may focus on other parts of this, but what was most significant to me was the behavior of the Jews and then the character of God. And both of those things are going on. And so I'd like us to start with, what does this passage tell us about the Jews? And you may not get them in the same order that I have them. I've tried to go verse by verse and, and pick some things. Uh, and so if you get one that's way ahead of me, yeah, I'll, I'll acknowledge it, but we may wait to put it up on the screen. So what do you see in this passage where Isaiah says, this is what we as a people are like, and it's mainly referring to the Jews. Bobby had her hand, then Wayne. Okay, what Bobby points out is in verse, verse 3, they're going to have humiliation. The King James, instead of the New King James, uses the word shame, but we can see how both of those words are tied together. And so some of their actions is going to bring about shame and humiliation. Okay, and there's some before that, so I haven't quite... Move down to there. Okay, so the very first word out of their mouth is the fact that they're rebellious children. How is that rebellion shown in verse 1? Okay, so the first thing that we note is their rebelliousness is in... They won't listen to God. They won't take his counsel. 
Um, and by the way, you can write rebellious down there. I just didn't happen to put that one on the list, but you're going to find some that I don't have, and that's fine. That's good. Yes? If you look at the end of verse 1, it says they add sin to sin. Exactly. So they're adding more sin to their sin. Um, I had one more in verse 1, and that was they're not looking to God for protection. So they're not taking his counsel. And then on top of that, they aren't even looking to him for protection. And then, as was already mentioned by Wayne, they're adding sin to sin. I don't know about you, but I've watched as my children have grown up and watched as other people my age have grown up. And there's some people that just seem to add more sin. It's like they're carrying this bag and they just keep putting more sin into this bag. And Proverbs tells us the way of transgressors is hard. And I think it's hard because they keep adding sin to sin and that becomes a heavy burden to bear. I think that's part of the reason Jesus in the New Testament told us, Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need rest from our sin. They needed rest from their sin, but they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't take God's counsel. They wouldn't seek him for protection. They added sin to sin. Bobby, you have another one. Okay, so also in verse 1, and I didn't put on my list, but Bobby adeptly has pointed out another good one, and that is we devise plans, but they aren't where we went to God and said, God, what do you want me to do? We have our own plan. And so it kind of goes hand in hand with this not taking counsel. Other things that you see about the Jews in this passage like I said, y'all are bringing up some really good ones. I didn't write all of them down, but I tried to capture some big ones. Nancy? I think in verse 2, it says to me that they think that Egypt's strength is greater than God's. It's kinder than pride. I think Nancy hit on a real key, key thing there. They believe Egypt is stronger more trustworthy whatever word you want to plug in there's something about Egypt probably that they can see them and see how strong they are that causes them to trust man more than God that's a good one Wayne you got another one uh, if you think about it in hindsight they forgot that they were in captivity in Egypt Wayne brings up a real good point this is the same group of people that God delivered by Moses out of slavery and captivity in Egypt. And so they're kind of looking at Egypt now to save them versus enslave them. And so, you know, 
all of this doesn't make any sense when you think about it. Now, I do want to point out one thing, because Wayne reminded me of it. If you were to look on a map, you have Assyria to the north, you have Egypt to the south. And any time these two nations kind of did saber-rattling and all the stuff you hear about, guess who they came through and who they beat up on the way? And God used them to try and correct his chosen people. But here they are constantly getting threatened by these two nations, one to the north and one to the south. And who do they look to for help? The one in the south. It doesn't, you know, we would say that doesn't make any sense. But obviously to the human mind and what they thought they could do, they thought it did. We look at it today and we say, well, it makes more sense if, if you would just trust God. Let's move on from those two verses. What other verses in this have something about? Actually, I'm going to give you one because we just talked about it. They're not trusting and seeking help from God, but they're seeking it from Pharaoh. And so what Wayne just brought up, you know, he was mentioning it in earlier verses, but it's also repeated in verse 7 that they're looking to Pharaoh for help instead of God. Mickey? I think Mickey hit on something that we all have to admit goes through our mind. We trust the physical power that we see more than the spiritual power that we can't see. But yet, deep down, if we were to kind of analyze our thinking, we'd say it's flawed. The God I don't see created all of this. The God I don't see controls the wind, the rain, the weather, whether a volcano erupts, earthquakes, and that's just barely scratching the surface of his power. But there's a question mark that I think goes through our mind, and that is, but will he help me? And he's promising them here through the prophet that he will. Bill, you have something too. I think uh, they're looking at something that's uh, kind of part of human nature that we have to fight against is the enemy of my enemies is uh, my friend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> like Mickey said, you know, we just look for the one with more power, not whether that's a true enemy of ourselves. Bill brings up a good point. We're more than willing to trust our enemy that is also the enemy of my other enemy, as long as somehow I can negotiate with them to, to kind of help me. And so if you look at it, that kind of highlights what's in our character, which is also what he brings out in verse 9. In verse 9, 
actually I skipped one in verse 7 it tells them in verse 7 that they are to sit still that their strength is in trusting God and just being calmly able to wait on God how many of y'all like to wait any volunteers for waiting for you know a long time we like things instantly. In fact, our generation, probably more so than previous ones, we have microwaves that we get instant hot meals and all these instant things. God's to, pardon me? We can just go through a drive through Or you can go through a drive through Yeah, there you go. We have all these fast food places where you can get a meal instantly. And so waiting is definitely not in human nature. And yet that's the very thing God tells them to do, that their strength is going to be in waiting. God's going to show himself powerful on their behalf if they would just wait on him, but they aren't going to do it. And that brings us then to verse 9, which is the characteristics that they show. He calls them rebellious children, which was already brought out in verse 1, but then he calls them lying children sad thing is is not only are they rebellious but in many ways they're lying to themselves they say they trust God but yet they'll trust Pharaoh more um, and then he says children that will not hear the law of the Lord sounds a lot like our culture and society today doesn't it we're rebellious people we don't humble ourselves and wait on the Lord and submit to him. Lying is rampant in our society today. Um, we hear the term fake news, and there's a lot of it, and it's hard to discern what's really true and what's not. That's what they were like in that time. All we have to do is look at our own society and where it is today and it's very similar to what the Jews had then and then he says they won't listen to God's law we have blatant I remember in the 70s Adrian Rogers made the comment that our society had accepted sin so much that what once was hidden in the closet was parading now on Main Street, USA. And he would probably roll over in his grave to see how much worse it is now than it was in the 70s. Um, we have people saying, well, it's not sin, it's my identity, or different things like that. The Bible teaches us what is sinful and what's wrong what's right before God and it doesn't matter how much we rationalize things if we don't want to hear God's law we'll try and justify our sin and that's what they were doing then too Nancy okay
infrastructure would use according to those two verses. That is correct. The, the Egyptians do not think much of the Jews, and yet that's who the Jews, pardon me? To a large degree, they don't see a prophet in helping them, that's for certain. So, and we're going to cover what Egypt is like in just a few questions, but it may take us a little bit to get there. I thought I saw another hand. Yours first and then Mary's. Oh, Mary was just scratching her, her head or something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Well, we have the benefit that that's our history that we can go back to, but Hezekiah comes a little bit later in Isaiah. Yeah, but, you know, if you think about it, they had history also. They saw God take them out of Egypt through Moses. Okay, Hezekiah comes a little bit later, and we think of of it as history because to us it is and so and by the way the only reason I knew that is because I got it mixed up a few weeks ago <laughs> someone asked me did Isaiah influence Hezekiah and I thought they weren't at the same time but they actually were but he comes a little bit later but she's right they aren't looking at history but they have different history that they could look at showing God's more powerful than the Egyptians he brought them out of Egypt. So why are you going back to them when they can't beat God? They couldn't then and they won't ever. Okay, I thought I saw another hand somewhere. Bill? Uh, today's the relationship of the Jewish nation compared to ours or today's is very similar in that the political leaders lied to the people. The religious leaders lied to the people. Didn't follow the the Bible. And, and it just made that nation hard to follow when, when all their leaders are telling them that this is the way to go. Yeah, if you, if you think about it, Bill just summed up the previous two chapters. The political leaders, the religious leaders, all were lying to the people. They were saying, hey, the things we ought to do is go to Egypt. And God's telling them through one prophet, no, you need to sit still and stay where you're at. And so, in some ways, it's not real hard for us to relate to them because our society is doing the same kind of things. Let me go through a few more with you here. Okay, Judah instructs its prophets to tell them what they want to hear. This passage in verse 10 really got my attention. Look at what he says. Judah is saying to the seers, basically to their religious leaders and the prophets, don't look, don't see. And to the prophets, don't prophesy to us about the right things. Don't tell us what's right and wrong. 
Don't tell us what God wants us to know is right. But what do they want instead? Have their ears tickled. To have their ears tickled, to quote the verse in, in the New Testament. That was the exact same verse that came to my mind. Look at what he says. Speak to us smooth things. We want to hear things that are easy for us, things that don't prick our conscience. And so in verse 10, it says, speak to us, you know, smooth things and prophesy deceits. So tell us lies. You know, we don't care, care that the lies, you know, that's what we want us to tell us, you to tell us. And then in verse 11, it goes a little bit further. In verse 11, they're telling Isaiah, we want you to remove God from our lives. We don't want anything to do with God. He says, get ye out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. So they're basically saying, we don't want anything to do with God. Don't tell us about God. Get him out of the way. Get You get out of the way. Don't keep telling us about God. Now, what I thought was kind of interesting was Isaiah gives them an immediate response. He says, you don't want to have God in your life? That's fine, but he's got a word for you here. And he says, wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel... And now he gives us a whole list of things that they aren't doing. He basically says that they're despising God's word. Because you despise this word. Um, to us, hopefully, that's a repulsive thought. But unfortunately, when we disobey God's word, isn't that the same thing? We're despising it. It's tacit despising of God's command because we refuse to obey it. They trust in oppression and perversion. And we see that throughout our land. A scourge on our land is some of the things that we see going on with human trafficking and the various other evils that just seem to be pervasive right now. And the reason is, is we as a nation have forsaken God. Um, and then in verses 15 and 17, he highlights again that they would not trust God, but they want to flee to Egypt and he's telling them that's not what you should do. But they're keeping on saying, no, we're going to flee on horses. We're going to ride on the swift animals to get there. And he's telling them you're trusting the wrong thing. Because of that, Judah's not going to listen. They're not going to obey. And so God's going to give them the teachers of adversity and affliction. 
What if someone got up and announced to the class, next week instead of meeting here in class, your teacher is going to be affliction and adversity. You won't even be able to get to church. You're going to be taught by the harsh things that have been mandated where you can't get out of your house and you can't get food and you can't get all these things that we're so accustomed to. Adversity and affliction is going to be your teacher. Would you sign up for that class? A lot of countries deal with it. We're really the exception. God has blessed our country because of our forefathers, but our sin is taking us down this same path that their sin took them. Mickey, you had something you wanted to say. Yep. Some of the lockdown resembles that kind of thing. And so he says to them, you're going to listen to adversity and affliction. They're going to become your teachers. And it's going to cause them to give up their idols. I think in our country it caused some people to wake up to some things that they didn't have a clue were going on. Also, he tells us when Messiah comes, Israel will have a song gladness of heart and they'll accept Messiah so adversity and affliction are going to bring them to the place where they will eventually accept their Messiah and they'll do it joyfully in verse 31 or chapter 31 verse 1 tells us that some of Judah goes to Egypt and I say that because I'm sure there were some that didn't go but their focus is to trust on the might of the Egyptians. Caused me to think of Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And so the very thing that the Jews are trusting in, the psalmist warns against. He basically say, tells us that some will trust in their horses and their chariots. But we, God's people, the Jews being his chosen people, we as his redeemed people, we need to trust in the Lord. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we think it's pretty logical to trust in things around us but we need to trust in God. Also, as they're looking to Egypt, they don't look to God. They don't seek God. And so, again, we see in them the same thing that we find in ourselves. This, the hymn writer put it pretty well, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Well, if that's true of God's people, then it's even more true of those that aren't redeemed, those that haven't accepted Jesus. And so the Jews also revolted against God in verse 6 of chapter 31. And again in 7 it emphasizes again they're going to turn from their idols and they're going to accept Messiah. 
And so that kind of summarizes some of the things that I saw in this, these two chapters about the Jews. You all found a lot more, and that's good. I was hoping you would. You brought out some facets that I hadn't you know, emphasized, but that's fine. That, that shows how we learn together as we read God's Word. Now we're going to do just the brief question. Next week we'll focus on the question of what is God's response to all of this. This, this week we're looking at the Jews and what is the problem with trusting Egypt? What's wrong with the Jews trusting Egypt? Okay, they aren't trusting God. And so, if you look at verse 3, and someone hinted at this, in fact, I use the word shameful, I think um, humiliating was used there. It's shameful when a people that say, Jehovah is our God, Yahweh is our God, and yet they don't trust him. And that's what Brenda was getting at. They aren't trusting God. They're basically saying, we're going to trust Egypt. And it's shameful. It's like, why would you do that when you have the creator, the most powerful being that we know of, the uncreated one who will protect you? It's shameful. Not only is it shameful, It's confused thinking. It's not logical. We sit here today and we think about, we say, trust Egypt. Of course, you know, we look at all the weapons today and it's like Egypt doesn't hold a candle to that. And, you know, today, you know, send a few planes with a few bombs to take care of it. Well, they didn't have all that back then. And we say, but they had God. And he already showed, you know, how he had brought them out of slavery. He had protected them from Egypt, brought them out with a powerful hand. What's wrong with what they're thinking? They're choosing the weaker solution. And we see that today, and Isaiah was pointing it out to them. You know, you're saying you're going to trust Egypt. That's shameful. That's a reproach on the God you say you trust. That's not even good thinking. It's not even logical. Why are you doing that? It doesn't make sense. What else is the problem with Egypt and trusting Egypt? Say that again? They're fallible. In fact, Nancy already kind of stole the thunder on that. When you go back to verse 4 and 5, they're fallible. But she pointed out, and I agree with her, they don't even like the Jews. So you're going to go to someone that doesn't really like you, and you're thinking they're going to help you. And if you notice here, Egypt's not going to help. 
nor prophet Judah. They're trusting in someone that's not going to help them, someone that is going to be no benefit to them whatsoever. And so they should be ashamed and realize that it's a reproach for them to do that. Um, but they're doing it anyway. Just shows how stubborn we as people can be. Of course, when my wife says that of me, I say, well, I'm just determined. Yeah. But the truth is, is when we take it to excess and when it becomes something that causes us to disobey God, it's stubbornness. And so it's something we need to be aware of, but that's the problem. They're stubbornly thinking that they should trust Egypt. Nancy? Um, I think, well, definitely we saw the blinding of them as a nation. Um, I think the passage you're referring to uh, in Romans chapter 1 has to do with an individual. I don't know if I could apply that to a nation, but it's a very similar type of thing in that um, at some point, God looks at a people group that is rebellious toward him, and he says, fine, have it your way. I'm going to take my hands off. Uh, now, whether that leads to the reprobate mind, I know it does for the individual, but I think for a nation, when God takes his hand off, um, they experience um, all sorts of, well, as we put it before, you know, on one of the previous slides, affliction and adversity become the way of life. Um, decisions that our world is making today, I believe, are what's going to lead to the descriptions in the tribulation time of um, food being scarce, there being famines, uh, and all of those kind of things. And so when God removes his blessing in his hand from a nation, um, it becomes a very hard life and, and definitely a life without God is, is not good. Probably the most vivid example that I can give you is Haiti and the Dominican Republic share the same island and as John Conrad took me on some mission trips to Haiti, I learned that Haiti's leaders, when they were trying to get free of the French, basically committed that nation to Satanism. And if you look at it, as one pastor that went with John there said, he had never seen a nation so destitute and so bad as what he saw at Haiti. And then you go across the line to the Dominican Republic and it's a lot more prosperous nation, but they didn't do that where they rejected God and accepted you know, Satan. Wayne, you got... Well, I was going to say we got the answer for Nancy's question and 
chapter 30, verse 12 through 13. 12 through 13. Yeah. And it tells that, you know, they will suffer collapse. They'll suffer tribulation yeah. because of their rebuke of God. Yeah, Wayne brings up a very good point. 12 and 13 say, Because you have despised this word and trusted in the oppression and perverseness and stayed thereon, therefore this iniquity shall come upon you. And so there is a judgment. There is iniquity that comes back upon them because of what they're doing. Last thing about Egypt, the Egyptians... Their help is going to be worthless. It's not going to accomplish any any purpose because Egypt is not as powerful as God. And so when God judges Egypt, guess who's going to be judged with them? The Jews that went there. And so we see here there's a problem trusting Egypt because they aren't near as powerful as God. And their help really is going to be worthless because when God judges them, that judgment is going to affect everyone that's in Egypt. Next week, we will pick up, we'll probably not reread the chapters, but hopefully you'll reread them on your own. And the one last question is, what is God's response? What do we see of God's character in responding to the Jews' rebelliousness? and their stubbornness, and their sinfulness. Well, let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you for your participation today, and next week we'll, we'll look at the, the last question and, and probably move on from there. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that you choose to show mercy even when we don't deserve it. Father, we thank you for sending your Son to die on a cross even while we were yet your enemies. You work to reconcile us to yourself and to redeem us. Father, help us to always be thankful and grateful for the great salvation that you paid such a high price to give to us. We pray now that as we go into the worship service, as Pastor Caleb shares from your word, what you put on his heart today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would would cause that to move our hearts closer to you. May we exalt Christ highly as we, we worship today. We thank you for each one that's here. Father, we pray for those that are absent because of health reasons. We pray you would minister to each of their needs with grace and strength that they need. Bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen.